John of All Trades Podcast, episode 344. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, man, I welcome back one of my favorite, favorite writers. It's Tom Bryan, senior writer at Stereo Gum, and the author of the number one's 20 chart-topping hits that reveal the history of pop music. Now, Tom Bryan's been on this show before. It was like two and a half years ago. I mostly talked to him about movies at that point because he was writing for the AV Club he did this unbelievable series of columns. One was called The History of Violence. One was called Age of Heroes. One was called The Popcorn Champs. I adored all of them. It was great writing. It was so much fun to follow along. It's pop culture criticism. It's history. It's context. It's delightful. All the while going on, I had just discovered that he had a column at Stereo Gum called The Number Ones, where he reviewed every single Billboard number one hit starting in 1958 And when we talked two and a half years ago, he was somewhere in the 80s, I want to say, like, early 80s, maybe. He's currently up to the mid-2000s, and somewhere along the way, he got invited to write a book, or perhaps offered to write a book, or encouraged to write a book. He tells the story here on the podcast, but I got the book, I pre-ordered it as soon as I could, it arrived, Christmas came early, and I devoured it. It was phenomenal. I love stuff like this. This is pure catnip for me. So... Reached back out to Tom, was pinging him on Twitter. He was doing a lot of publicity, and I go, hey, man, when do you have time? I want to have you on the show. Want to have you on the show. Want to have you on the show. And sure enough, we found some time. We got together. We talked about it. And, man, I could vibe with this dude all day because here's the thing, and here's how I begin and end the episode. We're talking about a show that happened in Brooklyn by a band called God's Hate. Now, this band, maybe not for you. Maybe it is. Terrific. But maybe not for you. It's fairly niche. It's fronted by AEW wrestler Brody King. And the music is horde. It is horde. It's a hardcore show. And there's a ton of AEW wrestlers there. And I go, Jesus, God, like, I wish I could be there. And the way Tom wrote about it, it just captured it so perfectly for me. And I'm like, man, you write about this? And you write about forgettable, like, perfunctory American Idol singles that went to number one just because... Whoever is singing it, one American Idol, and it's like on top for one week. I love both of those things. At this point, it really doesn't matter to me. I will read anything this guy does, and I I just adore him. I adore his work, and this chat was really, really fun, so I'm thrilled to bring it to you. That's coming up here in just a moment. First, I'd like to give a couple of plugs. One, you may have noticed I'm not around here as much anymore. That's because my time is divided between the other eight shows that I'm doing. One of which just had a new episode drop. It's Vic Lombardi's Denver. If you know Vic, it's because you've probably seen him doing nuggets or for a while he was on local news. He's just a guy that everyone seems drawn to. And after working with him, I understand why. He's terrific to work with. We have a number of great episodes. And this week's episode is with Kathy Sabin. That's right. Nine News Chief Meteorologist Kathy Sabin, who has filled in on the Today Show a number of times. She talks about that on the episode. That episode just dropped. Be sure to check it out. Vic Lombardi's Denver, available on Podcatchers Everywhere, produced by yours truly. The other thing, if you enjoyed my writing, Top 5 Fun Friday, 
I encourage you to listen to Happy Friday. That's where I'm joined by my co-hosts, Kevin Batstone and Arthur Raw, where we run down the week, we talk about things that happened, we give a look ahead to cool stuff to do, we riff, we argue, it's a lot of fun, it's a great, great vibe, it's fresh content every single Friday. Both of those are available on Mile High Life. What a great network, fun stuff I'm involved with, that's why I'm not around here quite as much as I might like or as I used to be. So, with that out of the way, let's get to episode 344 of the John of All Trades podcast. My guest is Tom Bryan, senior writer at Stereo Gum, author of the number one's 20 chart-topping hits that reveal the history of pop music, and his episode starts right now. I was in New York, it was like two days after my book came out, so my head was already spinning, and... uh, (laughs) getting to that show there was a there was two big hardcore shows in brooklyn that night and they were on the same block they were like literally next door to each other and i had decided to go to one of them to this the today show i bought a ticket and everything before i found out about the god state show well youth of so today great like, band like unreal that great band yeah and i didn't see them i saw two of their openers i tried to like set it all up so i would see like two of the bands that I wanted to see most on the Youth of Today bill and two of the bands on the God's Hate bill, and I kind of fucked that up. I, I missed King 9, which <laughs> I, I wish I would have seen them. Yeah, but um, it happened. So the only the only band I saw at the God's Hate show was God's Hate. I got there like right before they got on, and when I kind of got into the venue and walked up to the bar, the first face that I saw was Eddie Kingston turning oh. around in front of me. God, that's and awesome. It was like... I think because I was in such a like a whirlwind state, like my head wasn't like all the way clicking. Like I had like not considered the possibility that other wrestlers would be there. You know, <laughs> like um, yeah, I, I didn't I wasn't thinking about there's a pay per view in a couple nights in the same city. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about any of that. It was just like. It was like a it, like a sort of a fever dream vision. Eddie Kingston turns around in front of you, and I've been in the same room as Eddie Kingston before. I've sure. been in small rooms with Eddie Kingston before. I think we probably have like mutual friends. Like <laughs> I don't get starstruck around like musicians, right? But yeah. pro wrestlers is a different thing. And Eddie Kingston is in my head like a mythic figure, like yeah. someone who I just is, like I find to be extremely meaningful anytime he like says or does anything that was like a oh and then it was like a well i'm I'm not getting anywhere near the pit tonight like (laughs) i don't think i don't think eddie kingston was in the pit either like I, i did not see him like throwing back fists in there but like I did not find out until the next morning how many wrestlers were at the show yeah like my friend texted me and was like yeah i saw on reddit there was like 15 wrestlers there and then i went and found it myself i saw darby allen he was the only other wrestler who i noticed but it was like a that was a a heavy show in terms of like it it was like a it was gooned out like (laughs) and and like like people moshing at that show were not like weekend warriors like wrestlers or no people were were really going hard at that well so there's like so tom tom you're a big dude right i mean you're, you're a tall like well-proportioned I'm, oh, dude, I'm, I am legitimately seven feet tall. That's I'm like a skinny seven feet, but I'm 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 that tall. But it, it's I don't I'm not like a mosher though. Like I I'll right. 
I'll get in there a little bit here and there, but I'm not like a, I'm not a, like a pit bully. No, I, I'm not, I'm not. Like, no, you're not a pit monster, but like, I mean, even, even a guy your size, I like, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm like five, nine and like 200 pounds, but like, I wouldn't mess with Darby Allen. I don't think even you would mess with Darby Allen. I feel like if Darby Allen like moshed into me, I wouldn't have to go to the hospital necessarily. No. <laughs> it's not it's not an experience that I would seek out, you know? I'm not I'm not trying to catch that like fist or whatever. No. He seems like more of a stage diver than like a full on like, you know, flailing everywhere type mosher though. No, that's that's a great point. Um but one thing you pointed out in that I mean, God's hate is a band that is filled with giant dudes. Because Brody King himself mm-hmm. is enormous, and you said the rest of that band—I mean, they just look like monsters, do they not? Yeah, and in person on stage when they're all arrayed up there together, <laughs> it's like an impressive sight. Like it's a spectacle. Like they're those are it's 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 cool. It's like like it's it's like you're watching action figures or something. <laughs> it's not because you know they're human beings yeah. and you know they like are doing this because they love it and they like put their soul into it. But it's also just like. God damn, look at those guys. Totally. So I thought about this column that you wrote about this God's Hate show when I went to a show here in Denver recently. And it was at a show here in Denver at the Marquee Theater. So, I mean, the the venue where that God's Hate show, how how many people were there? A couple hundred. It okay. wasn't huge. So the Marquee Theater holds probably a, a couple hundred, a few hundred people. Similar style venue. And it's punk bands. The most well-known, the headliner, is a band called Authority Zero. And it's a good band. And then they have three local acts underneath them. The Frickashinas, who I love, who do the, the, the theme music for a show that I do called Happy Friday. There's a band called All okay. Waffle Trick. And then there's a band called System Restore out of Casper, Wyoming. I don't know any of these bands. <clears throat> no, and you wouldn't. But here's the thing. The Marquee said they were like... 25 tickets uh, away from a sellout and then like 700 bucks away from setting the all-time record for booze sales at this show. And it was a show (laughs) where it's like a headlining band and three local bands that the crowd was just... I don't know if the moon was full. I don't know what the vibe was, but everyone was ready to fucking go. And I was at this show, and I go, dude, this is one of the best shows I've ever been to, and it's not like anyone who's super well-known. And when you capture lightning in a bottle like that, you go, holy fuck, like, what is happening here? And I tell you that because it's a punk show going on that is maybe a mile and a half away from the Pepsi Center, where My Chemical Romance is doing their show. And it's like, oh, okay, so all the tourists... All the people who are like, oh, I remember my chem from 20 years ago. Let's pay 300 bucks to go see them at the arena. All the hardcore punks are down the street at the marquee seeing this and blowing the shit out. And so the vibe that I read from you in that God's Hate show, I go, oh, I experienced that. And man, what a magical feeling. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it, like given the choice between those two shows, I probably would have gone see an MCR. It's I I think it's 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 almost like two completely different things. It, well, it is, but and like I'd like to go see MCR, but like the ticket prices were prohibitive, 
at that oh, point yeah. for even decent seats. I was going to go to the show anyway because I have ties to these bands and stuff. Like I'm part of yeah. this local scene. But like, yeah, if if you're not like a Denverite, if you're not like a Denver punk, like of course you're going to go see MCR. And like all things being equal, you're going to go see MCR. But the fact that there was enough of a scene here to where like like the Pepsi Center was sold out. And there was also this other, like, yeah, this, like, secondary show was also happening, and it was blowing the roof off the place. It's awesome. Like, what a cool, like, testimonial to the scene. Well, Denver Hardcore is popping off right now. Yeah. You got, like, Convulse Records in your town, and there's, like, that band's Fame, F-A-I-M. Oh, yeah, dude. They're Um, they're really good. Yeah, they're really good. You got some, some good stuff happening out there. Well, and so I love reading on Stereo Gum, and it's a lot of music I don't even listen to or I'm unfamiliar with, but I love reading your hardcore column. But that's not why we're here today, and I I wanted to lead with this because, so this is Tom Bryan. You've been on my show, it was like two and a half years ago at this point, and we were talking about just your work at Stereo Gum, we were talking about your work on the AV Club with the history of violence and the popcorn champs, and I think when we last met... In your number ones column, you were somewhere in the 1980s, whereas now, yeah, you're in the mid-aughts, and you've also had your book come out, which I have right here, which I absolutely adored. I pre-ordered this as soon as I was able to, and I had forgotten about it, and then it showed up in the mail, and I go, holy shit, Christmas came early. Like, what a time. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Because, I mean, when we talked the first time, I'm like... Your writing is exactly how I wish I wrote myself. And so when you write about everything from these hardcore shows to like the most iconic pop music, you're doing it with the equal amount of gravity, right? You're treating it all. I, and I don't know exactly how to describe this, but you're, you're treating it with sort of the respect that it deserves and you're treating it on its own terms. It reminds me well, of... Well, it all does something to me. You know, it all it all activates me. Well, it and absolutely, it it reminds me of the way Roger Ebert used to review movies because he's like, "What is this movie trying to be, and how successful is it at doing that thing that it aspires to do?" And so, I I love that when I was a kid, the first my first criticism was like a book of Ebert reviews that I just like combed over like kept on my toilet like reread multiple times Uh, (laughs) he's definitely like i haven't read an ebert review in a while but he he was a touch point for sure like that's i think i learned a lot reading that stuff well dude uh, in 2008 i was working for a pr firm and our it was the recession our billings were going way down so i had a lot of time to kill and I'm like, okay, what movies have I seen? Like, let's just see what Roger Ebert thought about them. And I would just sort of read any review of any movie I could think of. And I stumbled across a review of the movie North with uh, Elijah Wood and Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely despised that movie. In, in the last paragraph, he said, I hated, 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 hated this movie. Uh, hated every simpering, pandering instinct that it has, blah, blah. And he went on and on. And I was so amused by the review, I had to go back and watch the movie. because. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like, I've always been in love with criticism. And so when I found your work, I go, oh, holy shit. Like, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. So when your book came in the mail, I absolutely devoured it. 
It was terrific. How has it been since you've released this book? What has the reaction been? Man, I tell you what, it is a beautiful thing. Like it just, it feels like, I don't think the book is that much different or more advanced or anything than like the stuff that I usually do, but like, you know, having it out there and like, it's not, it's not a bestseller or anything. Like it's not, I'm not going to get rich off of it, but it's like just people reacting to it. People like tweeting me pictures of their copies or, or, or just saying nice things and just like, to be able to walk into a bookstore and see it, it feels really good. It feels real. It, it, it's, I don't have any plans to write another book. I don't know if I will. I'm sure whatever, if, if somebody wants me to at some point, maybe I'll, I'll take the plunge, but like to have done this and, and to like see it out there a lot. Like I've had, I remember when I was in high school, I was like, I just want to write for spin magazine. Yeah. Like that's, that's the, that's the top of the mountain. That's the best I could do. And then in like 2005, I like wrote a Mary J. Blige review for Spin. And it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, there it is. It, it was oh, like, hey, it look, it happened. Like, yeah, it was like, well, that's cool. That's like a thing to check off the list. It, it didn't feel like a major accomplishment, though. Or writing a book was not like on the list. It wasn't It wasn't something I had like, like well, before I die, I got to do this. But I'm I'm really glad I did it. And so, I'm really glad that there's a, there was a demand that I was kind of, that that I was sort of like that somebody saw the column and was like this is a book you should write a book let me uh, help you get that all set up and that and that like an editor at, at a publishing house was like yeah let's do it let's make this book and that all these people like worked hard to like make it better and to like get it out there. It's it's tight as hell. It fucking rules. Well, at what point did that happen? So how far were you into the column? Because this number one's column at Stereo Gum goes back a ways. How far into yeah. it were you that, that that opportunity started to materialize? I've been doing it for a couple of years. I think I was in the 70s. A young dude emailed me who, who works at a book agency and was like, I think this is a book. I did not realize that my book would be the first book that he sold. <laughs> um, but it, it, I think that's pretty cool. And, uh, and that's awesome. Runs the agency. Yeah. So he he took me out to coffee and sat me down. We kind of talked about it. Talked about like what the steps would be and like what the form the book should take. And we just kind of talked. And when we like, like the book that's out now is pretty much like what we discussed in that meeting. And, and I immediately started thinking of songs that should be in it. And most of those songs that I thought of are in it. And uh, yeah. And, and then the, the hardest part was just writing a book proposal. It's like the, like as a, somebody who writes online, I don't <laughs> get writer's block. Like it's not a, it's not a, a phenomenon that I get to experience. Cause it's always got to like, there's got to be something that's out like right now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and writing a book proposal is like the first time I've had the, like the little cursor blinking at me on the blank page and being like, what do I do now? But you, a book proposal is basically an outline, you know, mm. like it's, you pretty much got to like plan it all out and be like, I plan to do this, 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 and this here, 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 and here. And then all you got to do is do it then. <laughs> like it, it, once you have, for me at least, once I have like a mental map of like all the stuff that I got to do and I can like build it into a routine and a schedule, then I can just chip away at it and do it. That's, and then, and I did. Dude, that's, that's a wild story because 
I mean, shit, you were in the 70s. The the column starts in 1958, right? Yeah. And so it was every day for a while. And then at what point did it go to three times a week? Oh, man. It, uh, it must have been 2019. I remember okay. I we all went to, like, the whole Stereogum staff went to the Hopscotch Festival in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it must have been the last one pre-pandemic. And we, like, talked about it there. And, uh, and, and I was like, he was a reader who suggested it like in the comment section. And I was like, actually, that's a pretty good idea. Like, <laughs> um, it, it's, I, cause I, I was like, the, the entries were much shorter back then, but I was still like yeah. going really hard to get them done all the time. And I f- figured I could like actually like build more of a schedule if I did it that way. And, and since then the pieces have gotten like, I just wrote like a 4,500 word piece on grills by Nelly. Oh, I read that one. not a song that necessarily <laughs> demands 4,500 words, but I just kept pulling the threads, you know? I just kept finding stuff I wanted to talk about. Well, dude, uh, when you referred to the bare naked ladies as the bowling shirt guys, uh, <laughs> I remember thinking, I'm like, I've never considered them in that way, but that is perfect. The, when the bowling shirt guys showed up, you go, oh, yeah, the scene's fucking over now. <laughs> like, uh, all these dorky assholes show up doing this thing. And, like, here's the funny part about your review of One Week. That's not even a song that I dislike. It's it's not a song that gets under my skin the way some others do. But I took such joy in right. reading your absolute evisceration of it. So my my curiosity about that type of thing. So I mean, you write forty five hundred words about grills, right? Which is is not a song that, as as you noted, deserves that level of scrutiny. But I'm curious. When I was writing Monday Night Raw reviews, my audience was much more engaged when I hated the show, much more than when I enjoyed it. So when you're writing a number ones column. Do you get more feedback for the songs that you hate? Like, for instance, I found that one-week review just absolutely 100% amusing. But I also love when you, like, love a song to death. Do you get more feedback in one direction or the other? I think I get the most response when it's one of the extremes. If a song is a 6 out of 10, I don't usually get the same same type of passion. Although, um, if I give a 6 out of 10 to a Mariah Carey song, her <laughs> fans will definitely be up in my Twitter minutes. You'll hear for them. They are, they are very protective, of it, and I respect it. <laughs> it with uh, I, I probably get the most when I hate it, though. And, and when I, like, I don't hate that many songs, but when I do, I try to really, like, let the hammer blow. Like, I try to <laughs> just, just get it off, you know? Yeah. Like, I try, to, I try to just be like, all right. It's time to it's time to it's time to hit this one in the head with a shovel a couple times. Well, dude, I've, I've like, heard I got pretty gratuitous in that very big thing. It was not sorry. It was pretty great. Like it was amusing. And I I've heard this piece of advice. It's like don't burn bridges, but if you burn a bridge, fucking nuke it. Right? <laughs> Can I tell you what I'm most proud of with that review? Sure. It's like the it's the most like throwaway bit, but like. I said something about how like an early bare naked ladies record went platinum in Canada, but in Canada going platinum means selling a hundred thousand copies. <laughs> so it's dunking on a one foot hoop that like, 
It's it's like it's no disrespect to Canada. I'm sure moving a hundred thousand records in Canada is a big deal. But just I I almost said nine foot hoop, and then I was like, wait a minute, no, a, a hoop is ten feet up. That's one foot. Like that, it was. Uh, you know, I had fun doing that. It, it's not even like fair, but I'm just glad that I put this like completely nasty little dig in here. That was perfect. The, another one I I that made me laugh out loud for maybe a full day was I remember thinking, how is he going to write about smooth? by Santana and Rob Thomas, because that song, if you were alive during that time, that song was completely inescapable. It was like nitrogen in the atmosphere, where you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it. And it was somewhere near the end, and the line was something to the effect of, when the earth crashes into the sun, and then in parentheses you wrote, it's going to be a hot one. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and i thought oh, oh fuck that's perfect i thought that's fucking perfect because like that the, the meme ability of that line like I, i'm like and he worked it into the conclusion son of a bitch roland bart is happy somewhere because tom Bryan did great form right there holy shit well, thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, th- there's these songs out here that are just, they're these, these gold mines. There's just so much you can say about them. And they're, they're song. It, it's like a shared frame of reference. You know, we all yeah. know them. So we can all make the same fucking jokes and <laughs> all get the same jokes. It's like a thing that unites us. I like that. That's why I like writing about these things. Well, dude, it, like, it's so good. And especially because, you you get the best of both worlds because you're writing about sort of this shared, shared cultural vocabulary where you're writing about, say, forgettable American Idol singles, right? Where, you know, all of these winners have to do this terrible song about being grateful that they were chosen to be the winner. <laughs> a re- really a kind of a grotesque ritual, like some real like Johnny Man shit. Like, it's really like, like, look at the beautiful young person who's so grateful to you, America. Yeah, to you, you fat hump in Toledo. Like, (laughs) and so, like, congratulations on helping elevate this young person, or in the case of Taylor uh, Hicks, who doesn't look quite so young, who was immediately doing Ford commercials after he fucking won uh, American Idol. Um, Taylor Hicks broke it. He broke the model. It it didn't work anymore after that. No, not so much. Um, But you get to do that, and you also get to write about really obscure hardcore bands that maybe like 0.1% of the population like even recognizes or understands. But as someone who loves music, you go, oh, man, I'm so grateful that we get to do both, and that's so fucking awesome. So. It's all it's all out there, man. It's it's all like I think the fact that I write this number one's column is like kind of one of the reasons I got back into hardcore in a big way over that the last sense. few years. Because it's like it's a good it's it's like a it's a good counterbalance, but it's also like I, I've been to a million indie rock shows where I just felt apathetic and like leaned on the wall and drank an IPA. <laughs> And like uh, hardcore, you can't do that. Like it's, it. I like you know, an Ariana Grande show is going to get you like all the way physically involved. It's going to be a full immersion experience, 
and like an ended show will do the same thing in an extremely different way. <laughs> That's really well stated because I, I saw, so I was up in Fort Collins seeing Joey Cape from Lagwagon do just an acoustic set and he had someone doing an acoustic set in front of him and I go, this is pretentious bullshit where he's mm. he's trying to make a and I don't even remember who the opener was and even if I did I'm not going to slander them here but whoever it was I remember thinking I'm like I fucking hate this like it if mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of something Jim Rome said where it's like if you're not going to be good at least be interesting and like yeah. no, nothing was even interesting about it I'm like this this is like a carbon copy of you like listening to too much Ryan Adams. Like, what the fuck are you even doing? Yeah, yeah. There's so much of that out there, and so much of it is stuff that you was a, a, a like. If you're a music critic, you're expected to take it a certain amount seriously. <laughs> and, uh, if you, if you like a, a great fucking whatever, like voice and guitar singer songwriter, like a Julian Baker or something, like there's fucking it. That stuff is awesome. It can be so great. But so much of it is fuck, is whack as hell and just completely non-involving. And so writing about number one hits, one of the things that I like about it is that just in the fact that this song became the biggest song in America for for at least a week, like it is interesting just for that. Yes. It's interesting by default. There is a narrative there. There's something I can sink my teeth into. Uh, it, it, if it's like fucking uh, band on Mexican summer records that like has a, a dream pop single that's okay, like whatever, no shots. There's good bands on Mexican summer, but like that's not a narrative. That's not something I can like get into in the same way. No, I 100% agree. And I remember there was a turning point where I got super excited for your book, and it was when you were writing about Ice Ice Baby. And you go, you better believe this is going to be in my book, which is coming out in November. And I go, holy fuck, like there's going to be a whole nother essay about Ice Ice Baby. And I'm like, shit. And that song really did change a lot in the culture. And so my question to you is, and part of the reason I was excited for that is I know as someone who has hosted a podcast now for almost nine fucking years where I interview people about any number of things, counterintuitively, you think people want like new and you want them to introduce you to new stuff, right? But the do, the shows that do the best are with people that the audience already knows and that they're already familiar with. <clears throat> and so my question to you is, I love this book because for me, it goes through movements, right? It goes through the part where it's before I was born, and then, like, I'm too young to sort of understand the context of the music. I love that part. Like, I love reading about history. I know you do, too. Your father was a history professor. You grew up with this. The part I'm looking forward to most is the part that I experienced and that I grew up with, and so it's like, oh, I want the 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 critic's view of this. Like, someone who studies this shit, I really want the deep dive into the stuff I already know. And then... Like, I got to the end, and so, like, the last three chapters are Soldier Boy, Ray Sremert, and Dynamite by BTS. And I'm like, I don't I don't know this music. Like, I've kind of aged out of this part of pop. Like, once you start yeah. writing about it, I go, oh, I've heard about this. I'm curious for you, is there one part of this book that is more, that, that excites you more, or are they just different? With the book, they're all different. 
like the I think part of the exciting thing for me about the book was putting everything on its own sort of equal playing field. Yeah. Like I'm not like I'm never going to have an effect on the canon, right? Like I'm never going to yeah. like change the 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 list of whatever great works that everybody has to experience, but if I can be like this is all pop music. It's all part of the same conversation. All these songs speak to each other in a way. All these songs in their time served the same function. Then it becomes possible to discuss the Beatles and Soldier Boy on the same level, yeah. which is exciting to me. Like, it's like, it's fun to be like, yeah, Bob Dylan, super important, great songwriter, made. In just incredible societal changes, incredible great songs. No number one hits. Soldier Boy, one number one hit. And like <laughs> I write about that in the book because there's a chapter about um about Mr. Tambourine Man. Yeah. Uh the birds version, which was a number one hit. And it's like, yeah, that song was pop music in its day. It was accepted and received as pop music. And the same is true of Crank That Soldier Boy. And both of these like changed the perception of what pop music was in their moments. And so like, I've gotten a few messages from people who are like, and, and even like some of the reviews of the book are like, wow, this really like tells a sad story about the decline of pop music and like just how bad it's gotten. And I don't see it that way at all. No, like, that's no fuck that. Like, and I hate that shit too. Like, so Tom, one of my big pet peeves. So I'm 41 years old. And one of my big pet peeves is when my peers are like, you know, they don't make good music any, any, anymore. And I go, bullshit, you're just not looking hard enough. There is tons and tons of great music that is still being made and pop music. Like, yeah, no, it's like, or you don't have the vocabulary to, or, or the, or the, or the viewpoint or the whatever, the aesthetic background to accept the music that is coming out now as at least potentially great. Like right now, as we as we speak, the number one song in America, as it has been for a long time now, is uh, is "Andy Hero" by Taylor Swift. Yes. It's a great song. Yes, like it's it's it, to rank it against whatever Penny Lane or whatever is kind of a fool's errand. Although it is a thing that I will do because I'm putting numbers <laughs> on all these things. Um, but it's like you know we're living through like a real like a, an insane golden era from this one figure who is like really really commands the 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 zeitgeist in a in a cool way like my daughter loves taylor listens to taylor all the time and like and she's 13 and i've been listening to taylor and writing about her since before my daughter was born like that's a full lifetime of like just hits just bangers like it's it's incredible like it's you gotta you gotta give respect to that to something like that to a phenomenon like that while it's happening. Well, you and, don't gotta do it because it got handed to you in a textbook and it happened like forty years ago. Totally. And dude, like if you don't have a Taylor Swift song, you've missed the point. Like if there is a Taylor Swift song for everyone, where <laughs> she, I mean, she has been on top for long enough. I, I remember the first, like when I turned the corner on Taylor Swift because like as a whatever thirty something year old dude I was like oh Taylor Swift whatever like it was dominating the cultural conversation on the periphery of my consciousness to where it's like oh I don't have to pay attention to this but 
I was somewhere and I go, what the fuck song is this? This is amazing. My wife goes, bro, this is Taylor Swift, you dumbass. What song was it? <laughs> it, was, um, it was Blank Space. This is a great song. Which is an amazing song. And then... Like and I go, oh shit! What have I been missing? And so like I'm I'm not pig headed enough to where I go, oh well that's got to be a fluke. No, I dug in more and I go, no, you know what's awesome? Like you need to calm down, or uh, I mean, fuck, like th- there are any number of Taylor Swift songs where you go, oh shit, she is doing amazing work and she is a generational talent that I need to be yeah. pay- paying attention to. It's kind of it reminds me of Lizzo. Because we have Lizzo on vinyl. Lizzo was fucking unreal. I, I don't feel the way that you do about Lizzo. No? But I'm glad to have her out there. I think she's cool. The songs don't hit me in the same way. I get some, like, a sort of Instagram caption, like, whatever, Target commercial type vibes from her. Oh, interesting. That, you know, Taylor Swift isn't above that. She's got a few of those, too. Yeah. But, like, she's a Taylor. All of her albums are good. And I think there's 10 of them now. And... Up until like album five, I don't think she had a bad song. Mm-hmm. Like her, her her batting average is, is crazy. <laughs> well, and dude, like some of this shit misses. Like for me, and this this is like an unpopular opinion, but like I don't like the vocals of Chris Cornell. And so, you know, like I've gone through moments with that. It's like it, it I thought they were fucking awesome when I was twelve. And when I was like 22, I was like, uh, butt rock, get that the fuck away from me. <laughs> and then now I'm like, that stuff that was coming out when I was 22, fucking Cheese by Audio Slave, like, kind of rips. Like, that's a pretty great song. That is the exception to the rule for me. And I'll tell you this, uh, we do a thing. So me, my wife, and two of my best friends do this thing called Music Video Theater where they each send me 10 music videos. So all four of us have 10 music videos. I curate it into a list and like just curate it for maximum vibe. And you can use any vibe you want or, or, or any criteria you want for this. But ultimately, they send it to me. I put it into a list. We get ripped. And then we watch the whole 40 like videos in an order. Like a great night. It's an incredible night. We've done it 10 times now. And so I have it all saved in a spreadsheet. I'll send it to you if you want to see it. It's pretty incredible um, because it covers everything. And we all have we all have sort of tendencies, but we're all sort of like polymath about it where it's like we love different types of videos. It, it would be one thing if you had a participant who's like, no, this is going to be nothing but Tupac videos. It's like, OK, that's fun, but kind of unfulfilling. Right. I would get kind of into ten Tupac videos in a row. Like I've had, I've had that YouTube night before. No, like we do the rabbit hole, forward. but like if you're doing it as a group for music video theater, which we call Cutie Poo MVT. When we're doing MVT, you want it to to have a lot of things. So there will be everything from Mariah Carey to local ska band Sorry Sweetheart to fucking Metallica to. To your point, Wait, is Sorry Sweetheart the name of a local ska band, or are you saying that to your wife? <laughs> well played. It is the name of a band. Um, I don't, see, I, that wasn't a joke. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, no. It's it's so, and they have a music video, and it's cheap. But but like when you live in your city, it we've got everything from the most opulent, most expensive music videos to say, you know, like. 
fuck, I don't know. One that's very opulent looking is Helena by My Chemical Romance. Right? Takes place in a Catholic church. There's a lot of Broadway-style choreography. There's a funeral in the rain. Everything from that to, let's say, uh, a song by uh, Red Fang called Wires, which is them getting a 5000 It's They get a $5,000 check, and they spend it on just using a car to crash into shit. <clears throat> so the videos like run the gamut of all different types. And that, to me, like that's one of the most fun things that we do, man. And one of the videos that I chose was actually Cochise by Audio Slave, and I neither care for particularly Chris Cornell's vocals nor fireworks, yet that video fucking rules. Yeah, man, if you get high and watch that Cochise video, that'll, that'll, that'll do it to you. Oh, dude, that'll fucking do it. If you watch, I, I can't remember the name of the video right off the top, or name of the song right off the top of my head, but there's a Chemical Brothers video where they keep shifting perspective on, like, it'll zoom in and out, and it, it, it'll it just fuck with you. Or, like, the hardest button to button by White Stripes, which is one of those great Michelle Gondry videos. Or even um, Cassius uh, doing Go Up, um, which is just uses stock footage in a split-screen way that is amazing. And And this is why I'm drawn to your work, Tom. It's because... No matter kind of what the song is or what the genre is or how popular it is, you treat it on its own terms. And that, to me, opened my eyes because one of the things I hated most about being a punk fan was the fact that for a long time when you're a punk fan, you go, if it's not punk, it's crap. Sure. Yeah, I definitely had a long stretch of my life where I was... Some some variety of that, like and it's like the high school punk stuff is like it's whatever. It, I don't know if it's healthy, but it's normal. Like where you're just like uh, Pearl Jam, uh, get out of here. <laughs> but it's like when I was like 22 and kind of evaluating things on like how hipstery they were or whatever. Like or just like I was I was dismissing wide swaths of things just like outright yeah just like, like out that. of hand right just like nope like i'm better than this or whatever yeah like, it's, that's not cool that's the stuff that i feel like is the wackest the the wackest viewpoint that i've ever had on this stuff no dude i agree and i got together with my wife and she just opened my musical palette so much and i'm forever grateful for that and i go like because there were things that i would like that I would secretly like. So, for instance, uh, A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton, where I would just like mm. that song in secret when I'm like 22 years old or whatever. And it's like, why was I hiding this from the world? Who gives a shit? She is a very talented young woman playing this great pop song. Why the fuck do I care what anyone else thinks? It sucks. Yeah, that song just goes to the scene with that song in the movie White Chicks. <laughs> where Terry Crews is singing it, is that's it's that's 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 cinema. That's like <laughs> it's, just, it's just that's just very good. It's beautiful. Yes, there was an Instagram video I think posted by Demar Derozan of uh, Team USA now currently on the Chicago Bulls, but it's like him and a bunch of the other Team USA guys just singing along to that song early morning on the bus, and they pan over to Carmelo Anthony who is just grumpy as shit. 
because he's <laughs> he's upset that everyone's like bumping along to this song and he's like the sideline reporter at that game asked him do you have a problem with that song he goes no man i just don't like mornings <laughs> <laughs> and i thought okay well i can handle that but <laughs> like that's that's perfectly fine but i mean that song it fucking slaps it you know i'm 31 years old by the time call me maybe comes out by carly ray jepsen and i go shit i really like this song this song is great i don't well, know carly carly got the got the hipster appreciation thing that really happened i saw her at the Pitchfork Festival, like a few years later, and when she sang that song at fucking Pitchfork next to whatever Fleet Foxes, whoever they had headlined that day, <laughs> and the whole crowd just completely went off to it. That was a it was a, a magical moment. Well, dude, you you've got one in here, so you give love a bad name, right? I remember reading an article on the AV Club back when it was when the AV Club was like the AV Club, right? So uh, it w- it was the staff that that everyone sort of thinks back. Yeah, rest in peace to the AV Club. I, I miss writing those columns, but they're, they're, that's not happening now. No, it's uh, it's a much different vibe over there now. I'll I'll still check in You're on still it. Recirculating my columns constantly as I get I get texts all the time like oh yeah I saw your article and it's like yeah I wrote that four years ago like they they just put it back up on their front page because they're not paying people to put new stuff up no and the thing like the bitch of it is for you is you wrote columns that are pretty evergreen it's whatever they paid me they own the stuff i signed the the release but i just i just don't appreciate how that company does business right now no it's it's pretty craven and awful and it makes me appreciate um something like defector where they you know they're employee owned and they're 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 doing their thing in a way where it's like no we're paying our writers it's equitable and the workload is manageable it's, it's very cool what a, what a great website dude phenomenal website and similarly like stereo gum the fact that that you guys are constantly putting out new stuff you're one of my daily stops on the internet awesome <clears throat> but but one of my like one of the things i remember from the days of the av club when they were doing like av q and a you know they talked about someone was talking about how they can be pretty pretentious in their tastes, but they all went to someone's wedding, and when <laughs> You Give Love a Bad Name uh, came on, whoever was writing it said, I don't remember anyone not singing along. We were all drunk on the dance floor, all just shouting that as loud as we could. And I mm-hmm. thought, yep, that is why we all kind of get into cultural criticism to begin with, because it's yeah. that feeling that we're seeking, that we love. And to bring this full circle, I felt that when you were writing about the God's Hate show. Sick. Awesome. I, I, I mean, the God's Hate show, that was the wedding. That was a bunch of people just fired up singing along real loud. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, and, and just everybody was dressed a little different is all. No shit, right? So, like, at that Authority Zero show where they're 25 tickets shy of a sellout, $700 away from setting the all-time bar record, everyone is amped up for whatever is going to happen. It's like, no, we're here. We are fucking ready to experience this. And, I mean, I felt that at a Ben Folds show, right? Like, it doesn't kind of... Like, you never know where it's going to come from. 
like no matter what you're doing, when you get out there and you're standing there and you're with a group of strangers and you're going, fuck yeah, we're all here for this reason, man, what a feeling. And so you capture that so brilliantly in your writing and I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks, man. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. What a fucking feeling. All right. Well, this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can they find the book? Anything you want to plug, do it now. Oh, sure. Well, uh, the book is available wherever books are sold. My mom texted me like, where can I tell people how to buy this book? Is it through Stereo Dumbest? No, mom. It's uh, It got published. It's I didn't self-publish it through a website. It's a real book. What do you go on Amazon? I don't know. Just buy it where you buy a book. So buy it where you buy a book. If you like to buy books, Um, (laughs) I'm I'm on Twitter at Tom Bryan, B-R-E-I-H-A-N, still still doing that while it exists. And uh, I'm at Stereogum every day, writing a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, dude, constantly. You're you're writing all the time. And it's a blessing that you are. So thank you for what you do. And Tom, Brian, I'll, uh, I'll tell you, I, I've been pinging you on Twitter to get this done because I just, I deeply admire your work. I think you're a great dude. And thank you for what you do. Please keep it up. Continued success to you, my man. Well, thank you, man. I, I intend to. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me back on, too. And that'll do it for episode 344 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Tom Bryan for coming back, talking about this, and basically just vibing with me. What a fun dude. What a great dude to talk about music with. Pick up his book wherever you get books. The number one's 20 chart-topping hits that reveal the history of pop music. You will not be disappointed. What a fun, fun read. Follow him on Twitter, Tom Bryan. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I mentioned in the intro, I have nine shows I produce. You got one you want to do? Hit me up. I'll help you get it on wheels. I produce it, show run it, whatever you need, I'm there for you. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're trying to reach an audience, promote a product, or basically just get your message out to the people who need to hear it most, whether that's social media marketing, online advertising, email campaigns, they will tailor a program for you to get your message in front of the people who need to see it most. Number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. On social, J-O-A-T pod across platforms, it's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews are exclusive to Facebook. Those are on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Not as frequently as I used to be, but they're still there when they are. So be sure to follow me on Facebook. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, I'm there. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Very much appreciated. I'm out of here for now. I will see you back here very soon. And until I do, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.